All right, good morning, church. You know, uh, when we move in from the park, it's always a little awkward because we don't have that bumper video, so it's just quiet. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, we're still gonna we're still gonna have a good time. Yeah. Uh, so Megan and I made the call for rain at 6 a.m. and it's easy to say now, like, oh, we should have been outside. But it really is hard uh, that early in the morning because. There's such a process for setting up a very expensive equipment outside. And so thank you for real. Thank you guys for adapting and uh, joining us here inside. Uh, but I want to welcome everyone this morning, whether you're in person or you're joining us online. For those of you who are new or might need a refresher, my name is Derek and I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. And we are so happy that you are here and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, it is my honor and privilege to be giving the sermon this morning, especially on Father's Day. I want to pray uh, a blessing over all of our fathers, grandfathers, and even our spiritual fathers. We are grateful for each of you. Personally, I know that I would not be where I am today without the male leadership in my life. So would you guys please join me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, you've made yourself known to us through Jesus Christ and have invited us to pray to you as our Father, that we may pray boldly and confidently to you. We pray for fathers, grandfathers, and spiritual fathers. Give them wisdom. Give them patience. Give them the ability to love in a way that reflects your love. We pray for children, give them guidance, give them a spirit of obedience, give them warmth, comfort, and peace in their father's home. We pray for the fatherless and those who struggle in their families. Be their father when their earthly fathers fail. Show them love and guidance and help them to know a father's love through your love, providence, and care. Use Christian friends and other families to encourage and guide, nurture and instruct, and bless them with your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Again, thank you, fathers, uh, once again for all that you do. Uh, in the first draft of this sermon, I made the statement that soon I will be officially joining the ranks of fatherhood. Well, my baby girl could not wait that long. She really wanted me to... Uh... Oh, yeah, there she is. Uh, she really wanted me to officially participate in Father's Day, and so... Uh, Kaya Ruth Crawford was born on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, her and Reagan are doing wonderfully, uh, maybe lacking some sleep, but other than that, uh, we, we are very blessed. Uh, I don't know, I was, my sister Emily, she stopped in and kind of kind of came to the hospital and was kind of looking around and she just had this puzzled look on her face and we're like, what's wrong? And she just said, it's just so weird to see you as a dad. It just like, <laughs> it like blew her mind and I was like, well, whether that's true or not, it's coming. Uh, but anyway, it is a little shocking to me as well. Uh, that is basically what I told the doctor at the end of it. I was just like, I guess this is real, isn't it? And she just like stared at me. But that's okay. <laughs> Again, we feel so blessed. Uh, but I do need to, I need to give a couple shout outs. I know that's not what sermons are for, but I, I definitely do. First, I want to give a big shout out to Reagan because she was so strong and amazing. Uh, I just closed my eyes and prayed until it was over. I'd like to say I was kidding, but no, I, that's basically what I did. 
Uh, but second, I do need to thank uh, my staff here at Zion. Uh, I texted them at the crack of dawn on Tuesday, letting them know that I was in the hospital and that we would, I would not be available to help with the worship day or the America Day event that we had this week. Uh, both of which I was planning to, one, I was planning to actually lead and facilitate and then help Amanda with the other one. Uh, but I want to give a big thanks to Amanda and Kyla for stepping up uh, and leading at the worship night and to the, man, our worship team is awesome. Like, I don't So thank you, Brad, John, Jaden, Justin, all of you guys that were on that team and uh, just being able to adapt to come in here this morning and still put up awesome worship to our Lord. It is so awesome. And to my family, uh, my Liz and Uncle Matt uh, volunteered for the youth event. I didn't ask them to. They just showed up in my absence. My team and family just came in very clutch, and I, I really do feel blessed for each and every one of them. Uh, Amanda said the B team stepped up. It's not the B team. They... This team is so awesome, but don't feel too bad for them. Uh, with all of our executives gone uh, this week, they had staff meeting on Al Berg's boat. So, you know what? Let's temper our, uh, no, I'm just kidding. They did awesome, and so I do want to thank them uh, once again. But uh, please continue to pray for my family as we navigate this next chapter. Uh, but I won't spend any more time on that. I probably shouldn't have led with a personal update, because in the past, when I've said these types of things from the stage, that's, everyone, that's all you guys remember. You don't even remember the stuff I actually worked hard on to write and stuff, but uh, that's okay. I, I know, it's, I know it's, it's what people want to hear about. I sent a snap out the other day after Kaya was born to, to Amanda, and uh, well, a bunch of people, and it was, it was my first uh, Mountain Dew Baja blast of the summer, and Amanda responds, nobody cares about your stupid soda, send baby fix. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I was excited, but all right, everyone's a critic, but all right, so let's move on to the topic at hand, uh, but it, it actually fitting because my personal life update seems to relate really well to kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning, because we're going to be discussing God's blessing of joy, but before we uh, get going on this subject too far, I want to take a moment to look at the term blessing once again. When I think of the term blessing, I get a mixed bag of thoughts that kind of roll into my head. The first one that comes to mind is a phrase that, for some reason, entered the youth lexicon a few years ago. For a time, kids were using the phrase, bless up, you know, it's, and out of all the ridiculous lingo that each generation of kids we, we seem to come up with, I actually kind of liked that one. Uh, I actually kind of enjoyed it. I think it was it caught on after DJ Khaled used it in a video, but basically it is used as a general wish of well-being to you based on the phrase, may God be with you. God be with you. Bless up. See, I'm pretty hip, so I can pull that off. Uh, when Hannah Bartlett was one of our, our leaders, she would use that phrase all the time as a hello and a goodbye, like, I'll see you later. Bless up. And uh, it is. It was just meant to spread God's blessing to others. Did every kid use it that way? Probably not, but I do like the idea, the general practice, and I think the idea behind it is on track for how we should look at blessings. And then the next thing I think about when uh, I think about is like blessing a meal. Like, over, like when you sit down over a meal, you always say, let's bless the meal. And I know for any of you uh, hardcore Lutherans in the room, many of you might have heard of the common table prayer. I was taught this as a, as a kid, and I still say it today before almost every meal. 
Sometimes, like when Amanda and I are out at a restaurant, uh, we'll say it out loud, as loud as we can. Uh, it's kind of weird, but we do. We like to, we like to pray out loud. Um, but then sometimes I do say it quietly under my breath. But since moving to Clear Lake, I have noticed that many of you say it wrong. It's become a hot-button topic with, uh, with my family and friends. Uh, for those of you who don't know it, let me say the correct way of how to say it. It's really short. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let this gift to us be blessed. Amen. Now, some people, like Amanda or my wife's family, they're going to tell you you should say, let this food be blessed. Don't listen to them. They are crazy thinking. Like, that's not, no. Don't listen to them. Uh, actually, I'm 100% kidding on that. Uh, as long as you're praying to the Lord, that's all that really matters. But it is, it is kind of funny to see the little bit of difference uh, since coming up here, because I just learned it this way my entire life. Uh, however, I do want to look at it a little bit. Why do we call that a blessing? Why do we say this, uh, this prayer over our meals ahead of time? So I do want to break this one down. Again, there is nothing special. There is nothing uh, that makes this one stand out. You do not have to do that. That's not what I'm saying here. But I think in order to understand blessing, sometimes we have to dive into what do we do and why do we do it? So the first one is this, come Lord Jesus. This might sound like a casual prayer, uh, a casual introduction to a prayer, but it actually has a reference to one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. The book scares me, but uh, Revelation, uh, Revelation 22, 20 through 21 says this, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. These are the last two sentences of Revelation. And for most of us, this is the last two sentences of the entire Bible as a whole. And in the section that precedes this, an angel is speaking on the behalf of Jesus to the Apostle John. Jesus is offering an invitation and a warning to his people, and it began with the phrase, Yes, I am coming soon. Jesus is telling us of his return, and there is so much hope that can be found in that little phrase, I am coming soon. And so John responds to this hope with the phrase, Come, Lord Jesus. It is so much more, it is so much more than uh, just some introductory thing that is said before, before a prayer. It is literally saying, I believe you are coming again. Please come. Then the next phrase we go on to is, Be our guest. And no, it's not a Disney song. Maybe you think it is, but that's probably not, not what it's from. Uh, but this is, this is more than a simple invitation. I know, I know there's always a debate of whether or not you have to invite God uh, into a presence or into a, an, into a place. You don't. God is there. But this is a heart posture. Being present, with, being present with the Lord, that's basically what you're saying is, be present with us, Lord. We open our hearts to you. Come to our table, Jesus, like when you invited yourself to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus welcomed you and the people around you took notice in Luke 19, 7. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Come to our table, Jesus, like after the crucifixion, when you appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
And they begged you, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. When we invite Jesus to be our guest, it is simply the response of faith. We want to be present with our Savior. And then finally, we have, let this gift to us be blessed. Amen. The gift can be food on the table. It can be any blessing in life. But this brings up this image of Jesus blessing bread in the New Testament. Jesus describes how a large crowd followed, or Matthew describes how this large crowd had followed Jesus. Evening came and the people were hungry and there was no town large enough to feed them. But a boy had five loaves of bread and two fish. And here's what it says in Matthew 14, 19 through 20. So Jesus directed the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave it to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. Our Lord blesses the bread, and it fed them all, even though there was little. There is this sense of multiplying what they have. This sense of blessing is about expanding what you have. Our Lord blesses gifts he's placed on our table those gifts to feed us, because it is meant to expand. It is meant to give us nourishment. It is meant to prepare us to serve in his kingdom. So let's recap quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, we rejoice with the church, eagerly longing for our Lord to return in glory and set us in this entire sinful world right. Be our guest. We ask him knowing that any house that receives Jesus in faith receives his salvation. Let this gift to us be blessed, we pray, trusting that the food on our tables will be sufficient to nourish nourish us to do the work of the Lord that he has given us. Like I said earlier, there's nothing special about this prayer. You don't have to say this particular one, but sometimes the simplest prayers might have such a major impact when you pray them with your whole heart, when you believe what you're actually saying. So why did I tell you these two stories about blessing up and the common table prayer? I think they both point us towards a prominent idea about how to understand blessings. And we can see this notion backed up in Scripture at the very beginning of the Bible. It all began in the garden. The creation story is all about God making something out of nothing and then blessing it in all of its creatures. The first blessing in the Bible went to the birds and the fish. Genesis 1.22, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the waters and the seas and let the birds increase the earth. He did the same with the livestock as well. Then he placed mankind over it all. In Genesis 1.26-28, it says this, God spoke, Let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting of our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male, female. God blessed them. Prosper. Reproduce. Fill the earth. Take charge. Be responsible for the fish, the sea, the birds, and the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Being fruitful and multiplying is not just about talking about reproducing. It's more than that. And God's blessings can be seen in similar light. It's all about flourishing and the multiplication of life. 
this blessing, and I, I want you, to, I want you to, to think about it a little bit here. This blessing is when God shares his life-producing ability with others. I just experienced it myself. That is what God's doing with this blessing. It's a life-giving blessing. And so this leads us to our main topic today, which is God's blessing of joy. And I want to hold on to what we just kind of learned about God's blessing. And I want you to apply that to to joy. Think about that as we're going through this, that joy is about life-giving. It's about flourishing. It's about multiplying. It's about expanding taking what is little and expanding it like, he, like Jesus did with the bread and the fish. Expanding it to the world. So when, we look at, when we're looking at this notion of joy, I think some major parameters need to be added. What exactly is joy? I think most people would probably describe it as a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. But what exactly is the difference between joy and happiness? I think it'd be safe to say most people would use them pretty interchangeably. Happy is a feeling we get when things are good. And joy just seems to be a little bit stronger feeling of that. But there's something about the term joy that sounds a little more sustaining than simply the word happy. And there's a lot of things in this world that make us happy. And unfortunately, you guys get to hear my list. (laughs) It's okay. It wasn't meant to be a joke, but it came out that way. All right, I like ice cream, I like boating, I like home-cooked meals, I love my, I love my pineapple lamps, uh, watching TV shows and movies makes me happy, chatting with family and friends, uh, walks with my wife, I've weirdly got into growing plants, uh, <laughs> between my office and home, uh, which Amanda does a lot of that too, uh, there's about 30 of them. Uh, and I've gotten weirdly into humming, my hummingbird feeder. <laughs> it makes me so happy to watch it. And I just like, realized as I was writing the sermon, I'm pretty weird. Like, I just realized I'm just growing into my weirdness. It's okay. But these are all good things in life. And when I think about them, they do make me happy. Happiness, however, is a temporary feeling. Depending on the situation, that goodness can be very fleeting. What started out as happiness can quickly shift into other emotions. Anger, apathy, sadness, being snarky. The list goes on and on. But now let's look at joy a little bit. I would say the experience I had this past week was joyful. There is no better word to describe how I feel when I look at my daughter than than joy. Her face, her smile, her smell, some of the time. uh, It all brings me a feeling that is more than happy. My heart is full of joy. No better word exists. However, just like happiness, my feeling can quickly change. When she's screaming her head off at 3 a.m. and nothing seems to be work because I'm woefully unprepared for this, uh, my joy can quickly go away as tiredness sets in, as being short tends to set in. And it's only been a couple days. So I've You guys are awesome who's done this for years. Like, good job, you guys, and have multiple of them. I think I'm done with one. Uh, I'm just kidding. Let's not quote that one. Okay. Uh, But either way, either emotion, happiness or joy, it it does seem like they can become quickly lost. Even if that underlying joy or happiness is there, it can still feel like there are times in life when we're not feeling it. 
And so I don't believe this is a very good definition of a biblical or spiritual look at joy. This is still just some, something that hinges on a positive emotion. And it, yeah, it might be more intense, but I believe biblical and spiritual joy should not vary. And so here's the thing. When things are going good, joy seems easy. But when you take away those good circumstances, joy can be something that's a lot harder. And I think at times it feels impossible. And I'm sure there's many of you in the room. I know uh, just being in, in commun a community with a lot of you, we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of deaths. We've had a lot of hardship over the last few weeks. Like it's a very real thing. Sometimes it is hard to find joy in those moments. And so what do we do? What do we do in those moments when we're not feeling the joy? And this next, this next verse I'm going to quote is going to sound like I'm, I'm cheapening it, but please hold, hold and bear with me. According to Scripture, we are told to rejoice because God is good. Deuteronomy 26.11, You shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you. This is a theme that shows up frequently throughout the Bible, and in many times it is a phrase that follows moments of struggle. Followers of God always seem to find themselves in, tr in trouble and in situations that can be really tough. Yet they were told to rejoice, to find joy in the Lord. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopted, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. When Moses led people out of captivity in Egypt, the first thing the Israelites did was they sang for joy. Even though they were in the middle of the desert, and I've been to that desert, it is hot, it is, it is harsh. Yeah, I was in an air-conditioned charter bus, but it still looked, it looked hot outside. It would, have been, it would have been tough. They would have been vulnerable. They were still far away from the promised land at this point but yet they rejoiced. Psalm 105 verse 43 said this, He brought his people, he brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This is an important concept in the history of God's people. A defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. Biblical joy is more than just a happy feeling. It's, an, it's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. Now, here's the thing. Just like most blessings, you, you can choose to operate outside of that. The Israelites often forgot about this hope and turned from their blessing. At one point, they were, they were like screaming to let us go back to slavery. Let us go back to Egypt. However, it can be a powerful thing when they do put their focus on God. And so, as we explore this idea of hope a little bit more, I want to I take a look at the Apostle Paul. I know he gets a lot of screen time in the New Testament, but what I love about Paul is that he seems like an example of faith in action. Paul was broken. He had, he had his ups, he had his downs, he had his, the things that he did right, and he had things that he didn't do well. But God used him, put him on an extraordinary mission to spread the gospel across the known world at the time. At great personal cost. Throughout his life, Paul experienced extreme hardship with 
uh, multiple prison stays, shipwrecks, floggings, losing people. And these moments certainly took their toll, but it usually only strengthened his resolve. Paul would equate his own suffering to that of Jesus on the cross. He would tell his followers, imitate me because I'm imitating him. He would use that suffering to fuel his message. And so we're going to take a look at Paul's writings in his uh, letter to the Romans. Uh, so could I have the audience stand with me? Uh, and we're going to pray and we're going to, uh, I don't know if it's going to be on the screen. If it's on the screen, we'll read it together. If not, uh, I will just go ahead and read it. Uh, but we will do the repeat after me similar to what we do in the park. All right? So please repeat after me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, be with us in times of sadness, in times of struggle, during times when we feel lost. Holy Spirit, lift us up. Let us rejoice in your wonder. For the hope that comes, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. All right, and now we're going to read from, from Romans 15, verses 8 through 13. So I'm going to read it to you guys. That's okay. Hey, we're shifting from the park. That's what we do. So Romans 15, 8 through 13, this is going to be our verse of the, of the day. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them, that it that is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it was written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place Isaiah said, The heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You guys may be seated. Now, there's a lot to that, but the, the, the main idea behind that is pointing us to all these times in history, through because the, the, that's what the Psalms kind of did. It was written over a, like over a thousand year span. You know, we think about the book of Psalms as just like, oh yeah, it was written by David and, you know, just this one viewpoint. No, it had many authors. It was written over a long period of time. Uh, we can't even imagine what a thousand years looks like. You know, our nation is tiny in comparison, in comparison to that. And so it kind of does document a little bit uh, the history of Israelites there and, and how even in times of struggle, they are to rejoice and they are to rejoice because of one thing, the hope that we find in Jesus. I mean, that's straight from scripture. That's, that's not my opinion. That is, that is straight from, from, from the Romans. Here's the hope that we are looking towards. Jesus is that hope. It's his death, his resurrection, and then as we talked about earlier, his eventual return. This is the reason that we have hope, because Jesus is returning. We saw this earlier. Jesus is coming. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. This is what we've been asked to spread to all the world. This is the Great Commission. But here's the thing. 
The Great Commission is not just supposed to be like an announcement that doesn't change who you are. Here is Luke 10 when an angel made this announcement. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. There is nothing more joyful than our hope in Jesus. It's what happens when it it's what happens when when we don't feel that way. That's the that's where it starts to get hard. When that path in front of us doesn't look so I don't know, maybe it kind of looks hopeless. I think that's where the that's where the shift is. I think it's easy for us to it's easy for us to look at the gospel and say, "Yeah, let's go out, let's preach it, let's show people the hope we have in Jesus." It's harder to do that when we're not feeling that hope. It's harder to feel that when maybe there are other things in life that we are struggling with. There's other things that we are trying to overcome. When we start to feel like the Israelites who want to go back to Egypt, what happens when these things that we're facing are are bad and it feels like we have to throw our happiness, our joy out the window? What then? What do we do next? And I'm sure most of us have felt that way at some point in our lives. Maybe some of you here today feel that way. Where it might be hard to find that joy. And I told you previously that Paul's ministry was filled with suffering and struggles. And so it might be helpful to look at Paul's point of view. I hope that maybe we can relate to some of the things that happened to Paul in his life. So let, let's reflect on one of his viewpoints, that verse 13 that, we, that I just read to you guys. Romans 8.13, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. That produces some pretty cool imagery there. An image of God filling us with joy. See, this verse doesn't say, may you have joy all the time. It doesn't say, may God help you keep your joy all the time. No, it says, may God fill fill you with joy. There are going to be circumstances in your life where you just don't feel like your joy is there, no matter how hard you try. There are going to be situations in life that seem so dark that you can't imagine any possible outcome. And that's when we have to turn to God. And this verse calls him the God of hope because that's exactly what he is. He is our hope in that darkness. And it's because of that hope that we are able to have joy no matter what the circumstances are. And I don't know about you, but if we, if we do ask for that hope and that blessing is there and we are overfilled, we are filled up with hope, how could that not be joyous? The hope that God gives us provides us a way for us to be filled with joy even when things are bleak. Paul encourages us to rejoice in the Lord in Romans 3.1. But I want to make my point very clear here, and I, I'm going to overemphasize this of what I'm not saying. I am absolutely not saying that people shouldn't feel down or lacking of joy. That you have to keep your feelings of, of sadness, your feelings of hurt to yourself. That would be irresponsible of me, and frankly, that is not the gospel. That is not church community. That is not what we're asked to do. There are going to be times in life that are filled with strife, and I would never want any of you to have to hide that or feel like you have to go through it alone. 
Paul definitely owned his suffering. In the first chapter of Philippians, we see Paul struggle with this idea of continuing his own mission. That it is hard, that he feels like that he's about to be put to death. He's in prison, he feels like he's about to be put to death. And he, he contemplates with himself of whether or not he should keep going on. And he concludes that it is important to keep moving forward. He says that he will have joy in faith. That hope in Jesus is too strong not to live out with joy. And so we see a similar notion in 2 Corinthians where he described himself as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. He's lost friends. He's lost people. He's been beaten. He's, been, he's had a very hard time. He knows that sorrow. He knows what it's like when he feels like he has to give up. Yet he's always rejoicing. Paul talks about missing loved ones, losing friends, and even losing his freedom. And he acknowledges his pain. And, and in the letters to his churches, he asks for prayer. He asks for support. He plans to stop in and see them again. Paul acknowledges the struggle and reaches out to his church community. But he also makes a choice to trust Jesus. That his loss wouldn't be the final word. That biblical joy is a profound choice. And we see it in the book of James. The author takes a similar approach when discussing hardship. In James 1, 2-4, through 4, it says this, <clears throat> Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lack in nothing. That phrase, count it all joy. It's like when you're examining your life and you're looking at the struggles, you're looking at your hardship, you're looking at all those things you had to go through, what this is saying, as you're examining them, all those hard things, count them as joy because they're a testing of the faith. That is God working in you, changing you, adapting you to these things that are happening to you. That's how James views all the struggles and hardships he has to do, is to count it as joy. And it is joyous because God is at work in you. At this time, I'm going to invite the, va the band back up uh, onto the stage as I bring this message to a close. While it'd be nice to never have to go through anything hard in life, I do, I do hope that for each and every one of you. I just want you to be very aware that that's not what Scripture promises. The blessings of joy is not, is not prosperous in the way of wealth, health, ha happiness. That's not exactly what we're talking about here. The biblical joy that we are talking about here is that no matter those hard times, no matter those tough situations, that we can still find hope in Jesus. Because we know that God is good and that Jesus is coming again. That is, what this all, that is what all this is leading to. And so this is my challenge for each and every one of you this week. I want you to think back to the beginning of this message when I talked about how blessings are all about God's creation, meaning for God's creation to flourish. How does this relate to the blessings of joy? 
If joy is life-giving, what does that mean for each and every one of us as we go out into this world? How do we show people the hope we find in Jesus, even despite our struggles, even despite our hurts, even despite all the, all the terrible things that we do have to go to through? How do we show the world that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, just like the Israelites, how do we choose hope? How do we choose joy even as we're experiencing grief, even as we're processing that suffering, how do we still show others that we have a hope that is beyond our struggle? That our struggles will not be the final word that Jesus returning is. That is an answer that each and every one of you are going to have to process yourselves. I can't point out to the room and say, I need you to do this. How is God working in your heart? How can you be that hope? How can you share that gospel to the world? How can you let them know that Jesus is coming soon? Would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much. So much for your just joyous heart. That even despite the brokenness of this world, despite the results of the fall, that you still want us to experience your joy. Yes, times on earth is, it can be tough, but we look forward to your return. We look forward to your salvation. We look forward to our time with you. But Lord, we know that our job is not done here on earth that we still have more that, that you ask of us. And so, Lord, just give us the strength, the courage to show your joy to the world. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.